Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Anna here, hopping in before the start of the show, because in a continuation of ongoing life stuff, Amber and I haven't been able to record new content this week, but rather than leave you without anything for your ears, we're releasing another edited Patreon episode. In this case, in an installment first released after our episode on Madagascar, we're taking a voyage to Lemurtown. We're definitely not primatologists, but we hope you'll learn a few things about our most distant primate relatives and enjoy listening. And truly, thank you all so much for your patience and for sticking with us. We've got some amazing topics on deck, and we can't wait to share them with you. And speaking of thanks, the very shoutiest of shouts out to Kelly, Mary, and Christy for joining our Patreon and supporting the show. And now, on with the show. Buckle up. Here come the lemurs. And welcome to Deep Cuts, the monthly bonus episode where we take a closer look at something we've talked about in the past few weeks. This time, we're headed back to Madagascar for a spot of primatology as we investigate lemurs. I will be your guide, although I would like to point out up front that I am not a primatologist and as such, don't know everything about lemurs. Not even close. I bet I know less. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will know more after this episode. And listeners, yes. so will you. Yeah, so we might as well start with some evolutionary history to get us situated on the primate family tree, which we belong to. Because Amber, as you and I both know, we are primates, as are all lemurs, though we're actually only very distantly related. But we're more related to a lemur than we are to, say, a rhino or a shark. Great. Yeah. Thank you so- for writing that for me in the script. <laughs> Well, I like to, these days I like to write, you know, I just sort of have an imaginary Amber sitting on my shoulder because we've been doing this for long enough that I, I I can guess what you might say. So Amber, do you remember the seven major taxonomic categories established by Carl Linnaeus? We have covered them before fairly recently. I do. And thanks to you writing them down, I know them in order because I could Mm -hmm. come up with all seven if you like. Gave me a pencil. I didn't want to put um, you on the they, spot. They are kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, oh, and species. No. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that's like biggest to smallest. Yeah. In terms of group size. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so things in the same kingdom are much less closely related to each other than things in the same genus. Or species. Correct. So within those seven major groups, there are smaller subgroups, because that's the problem with trying to classify all forms of life into just seven boxes. You end up with a need to subdivide those boxes for better organization. 
Because it turns out there's a lot of living things in the world and seven boxes isn't enough to make sense out of all of them. Because the purpose of classification is to understand the evolutionary relationships between... Yes, do you have do you have an issue with my box analogy? That, remember that, that recipe that I sent you where the lady was like, I eat a plant-based diet, so I wouldn't put mushrooms. But if your diet includes <laughs> mushrooms and other fungi, you're welcome to. I'm just thinking about her right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jennifer? I don't know. I think, I think her name was like Jenny or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking about like some people now are I'm really into of, putting things in boxes. <laughs> yeah. And some people don't really understand how plants do. But why, well, you know, to be honest, I don't know the, the impetus behind her particular choices. But uh, Mash, what a difficult person she must be. <laughs> That's very judgy. I'm sorry. What about yeast, Jenny? What about yeast? Do you like bread? So the purpose of taxonomic classification, not as it is understood by Jenny, but as it was devised by Carl Linnaeus, <laughs> is to understand the evolutionary relationships between different types of organisms. So lemurs are in the order primates, but they're in the suborder Strepsirini. They're strepsirines. That's a word that we're going to throw around a few times here. And so the larger group primates includes us and lemurs and all the great apes and all monkeys. Um, but that group in terms of evolution split off into lots of different groups because of, you know, how the planet works, how the continents separated and how different environmental pressures act on populations over millions of years. So Strepsirines are a group that split off from the rest of the earliest primate ancestors around 30 to 35 million years ago. And so that group that lemurs belong to split from haplorines, the group that we belong to. So haplorines, that lineage went on to split off many more times into old and new world apes and monkeys and the great apes and et cetera, et cetera. This is all nose-based divisions much much of the naming conventions are nose based yes but uh really only the first two well then no, the, actually there's like catarines well that's what i mean the, the first two points of division so the strepsirines mm. split from haplorines and then haplorines split into platyrines and catarines which are old and new world monkeys which is kind Flat. of an antiquated yep and and long down yep down so downward facing nostrils. Okay. So if you, you, Amber, are a catarine, um, and if you wanted to put your finger up your nose, you would do so from the bottom up. Oh. If you were a platyrine and you had a flat little nose, your nostrils would face outward. And so you would kind of come at your nostrils from the side. Oh. Yeah. But you can't do that because I can't you're do a that. catarine. But we're actually not even dealing with platyrines and catarines today because the group that we're talking about split off before that around again, so, 35 million years ago. Strepsirine. Yes. Twisted. It means twisted nose uh, refers to their nostrils, which are kind of little comma shapes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, 30, 35 million years ago. Yes. A long time ago. Yep. A while back. So mm -hmm. the strepsirine branch kept evolving separately from the branch that we're on 30 million years. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's Which why is, we're so different from them because yeah, 30 such million an early years of, split. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so 
that's why, although they are still primates, lemurs and their relatives, fellow strepsorines, lorises, and patos. They're, they're also strepsorines. Um, look them up sometime, P-O-T-T-O-S, along with the loris. They are strepsorines that live in kind of Southeast Asia and then sort of uh, the middle rainforest belt uh. of, of Africa. They're very cute, but not part of today's topic because they don't live on Madagascar. But strepsorines are physically pretty different looking from other monkeys and apes. So most other primates have rounder, blunter faces and dry noses. So not talking about like allergy season, mm, mm-hmm. but but typically, I know, but typically uh, haplorines like you and me have dry noses, but lemurs have pointy snouts and wet noses like a dog or a cat. So you could touch your finger to the tip of their nose and it would feel wet like your dog's. And so that wet nose is something called a rhinarium, and it helps with their sense of smell. Because when we inhale, the things that we process as smells are actually tiny molecules, particles of whatever is in the air. And so if your nose is slightly moist, more stuff sticks to that moisture. And so you can get more into your snoot and there's more for you to process. Yeah. So strepsorines, um, again, because this split occurred so much farther back in time, um, they retain more primitive features. Lemurs in particular retain what are called more um, ancestral or primitive features of their anatomy, especially their skull and teeth. So other unique anatomical features include a dental comb. So uh, you can look it up. Uh, I've found that there aren't very many good pictures of a dental comb online if you look up a lemur's dental comb. But it's pretty much what it sounds like. The lower front teeth of a lemur, instead of being perpendicular to the jaw, they kind of stick out at a a flat angle and they can use that essentially as a comb for grooming. So when they nibble at the fur of other lemurs in their group, they kind of rake it upward through the fur and it it combs the fur and gets all the little critters out. Um, Similarly for grooming, lemurs have something called a grooming claw, which isn't really a claw. They All primates typically have nails and not claws. Um, and so it's, but it's a, it's a specially evolved digit that has a specialized nail that is shaped like a claw, confusingly, um, that they can also use to, to kind of comb through their, their fellow lemurs fur and pick out the little, little beasties. Are you, (laughs) your face says you found something on the internet. No, I'm loving this. Okay, great. Uh, Um, I did learn that Pato's and some English, like Anglophone parts of Africa are referred to mm -hmm. as softly softlies. Yeah. Yep. Because they move very slowly and quietly through the upper, through the uh, lower canopies of the rainforest. Just like tootling along. (laughs) They're just little round, soft babies. Uh Also at the end. Hmm. Okay. At the end of the episode, I'd like to share a, a lemur story. Oh, excellent. Own. Okay. Um, I, I know I said we wouldn't really talk about lorises or patos, but did you know that lorises are one of the only venomous mammals on the on the planet? They, they are. They're venomous. So not in the sense that uh, snakes are venomous where they have a gland in their mouth that can get you. But um, if you've seen a loris maybe on YouTube... And if they are tickled, they will often start raising their arms very slowly. And on YouTube, it seems very cute. It's like they're asking for hugs or like, I want to go up. But really what's happening is they have a venom gland on the inside of their elbow that they will lick. And so 
the the venom gets on their teeth and then they can bite you and that venom gets transferred through the bite and it can actually be very, very dangerous. So don't oh. keep Loris's as pets. So um, one of the I best I think Lady tweets. Gaga got bit by a Loris. Anyway, sorry. I thought it was Justin Bieber who he had a brief bad run with some exotic pets. That um, wouldn't surprise me, but maybe his... Loris bit Lady Gaga. I I want to think more highly of Lady Gaga. But one of the Mm. best tweets of all time is, um, it's only toxic masculinity if you eat it. Otherwise Otherwise it's it's only venomous masculinity. (laughs) (laughs) That is very good. So (laughs) all of this Loris and Pato talk out of the way. Lemurs. You're such a Pato mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. I was really oh, trying to think of my a turn. pun. To, oh, no, <laughs> no, no, I have one. More. <laughs> so the final characteristic of lemurs that I want to mention, because it really affects their anatomy, is um, their mode of locomotion. So how they get around. And that is primarily through vertical clinging and leaping, which is exactly what it sounds like. They can bounce and leap from tree to tree to tree. And they essentially start out from a vertical position, clinging onto a tree trunk. So like if you were to shimmy up a pole, mm-hmm. right, that kind of, as grip. I often do. Yes. As we both are, are want to do. And then leaping to another tree trunk. So they have to not only have a tremendously strong jump, which means really, really big, strong leg muscles. Um, they also have to pivot in midair because if they're jumping from tree to tree, they're starting off facing the tree trunk and then they jump and pivot their way over oh to the next tree. So I'll, um, try to look up. There's, there's some great, uh, YouTube videos from something David Attenborough did, um, of Shifakas, the, they're a Excuse specific, I, I said it, they're called Shifaka or Shifax and, um, they are a type of lemur that lives on Madagascar and there's some great footage of them doing this behavior. And so they jump back. So that, so they're using their lower body or are they just like doing like a, a like a vertical push up away from other? Like no, no, like- no. So they have really powerful and longer lower limbs and relatively short arms. So, which is sort of the opposite body plan from a lot of other primates where you see much longer arms because they do more climbing. And um, so lemurs are not so great on the ground, um, especially Shifaka injury, the, the kinds that do that more of this vertical clinging and leaping. So ring-tailed lemurs like Zabumafu, mm-hmm. um, I know them. they tend to walk on all fours a lot of the time, but they can do this kind of leaping. But a Shifaka or an injury, if you see them on the ground, they have to do this really goofy, like loping hop because of how their legs and feet are adapted. They're adapted for jumping from one vertical pole to another rather than, um, you know, flat locomotion, like bipedal locomotion like us. So vertical clinging and leaping is really characteristic of lemurs. So, yeah, uh, we should really include some, some videos. I'll try to dig some up, um, on the show notes because a lot of this is, is fine for me to describe it, but really to see it is much, much cooler. Yeah. It's just like, tree parkour it really is it's amazing um when we're done with this i'm going to screen share some for you great uh so now that we've got them more or less classified (laughs) 15 minutes in and one page down shall we talk about some of the lemur populations of madagascar 
Uh, yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah, we can't really talk about the lemur populations of anywhere else except for the like nondescript location of Zabumafu, because that yeah. was definitely not set in Madagascar. That that, that was after my time, so I have no idea. Up. Yeah, how could it be after? Where? Oh no. <laughs> No, I just mean like I didn't, I, I never watched Zabumafu. I was a, oh, this will come up later. Um, okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we can't talk about lemur populations of anywhere else because they aren't anywhere else. They only live on Madagascar except the ones that are in zoos. Yes. Um, but yeah, I do want to start with the giant extinct ones, please, if we could. Yeah. Oh, great. Because I would love to hear about the giant extinct ones. Awesome. <laughs> It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Culturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. So this is from uh, National Geographic in 2015, where they say, quote, Deep below the surface of a water-filled cave in Madagascar, divers and paleontologists have uncovered a boneyard full of extinct giant lemurs. Hundreds of bones dot the silty bottom of Avin Cave in Simpanam Petsotse. Simpanam Petsotse. Yep. Simpanam Petsotse. Can you just cut that together like <laughs> just <laughs> yeah um i mean i i had trouble with cave so let's <laughs> national park the remains include exotic species <laughs> such as the extinct elephant bird a flightless giant similar to an ostrich but extinct but, but, but the most <laughs> But the most numerous bones are from the long-lost giant lemurs. The largest of the extinct lemurs were as big as gorillas, and paleontologists sometimes refer to the different types of as sloth lemurs, koala lemurs, and monkey lemurs to describe their different lifestyles and the living animals they most, <laughs> animals they most closely resemble. Sometime between 2,000 and 500 years ago, all these giants disappeared, possibly at the hands of humans. More than a bit. Yep. How all these we'll animals there. found their way into Aven Cave, Aven, Aven Cave is a mystery. 
The diving and scientific teams have only just begun to catalog what's on the surface, much less puzzle out how the bone bed was assembled. From what they've uncovered so far, uh, oh, one of the researchers, yeah, <laughs> one of the researchers, Rosenberger, Rosenberger, uh, suspects that many of the bones washed into the cave over time, both before and after humans arrived on the island. To be clear, humans didn't, there's no sense that humans assembled this, like it wasn't some kind of ritual deposit. It's just a lot of dead animals ended up there. A lot of local goths were like, <laughs> like the creepy kid in the neighborhood. It's like, oh, it's my bone cave. Um, in addition to individual bones, the cave contains entire skeletons that provide a detailed look at the anatomy of these extinct animals. The remains show hardly any sign of post-death damage from, say, being eaten. And uh, from the look of them, Rosenberger says some of the levers, quote, got defleshed in place, end quote, with decomposition slowly revealing the bones and have rested in peace ever since. Until the paleontologist got there. Yeah. So why did these giant lemurs, and for that matter, other species of megafauna on Madagascar go extinct? They can't have all fallen into underwater caves. Uh, (laughs) Maybe they did. It turns out that as hinted above, full of incredibly clumsy animals. Um, It turns out that as hinted above, humans probably played a big role in that process, as we mentioned in the March Madagascarness. March Madagascar in this episode. You came up with it's the title. It's my fun, yeah. <laughs> uh, humans may have arrived on the island as early as 10,000 years ago. A study in the Journal of Human Evolution looks more closely at the link between human behavior and population change among the megafauna. The advent of people spelled doom for the large animals, but how their interactions played out is still being in- investigated. Uh, Lori Godfrey a paleontologist at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and co-author of the article said, quote, the key to understanding extinction, according to our hypothesis, is not whether or not people were present or even whether or not people were hunting big wild animals, but what else were they doing? The pivotal factor, the authors agree, is population size. They mustered evidence showing that the drastic decline in Madagascar's megafauna coincides with the dramatic increase in the island's human population. Their research aimed to answer the following questions. When did the animals die off? What were the humans doing at this time? Do they have alibis? What were the climatic (laughs) conditions? Where were you 1,500 years ago? (laughs) I was off planet. (laughs) To do this, the researchers conducted radiocarbon dating for living and extinct species at the same sites and studied animal bones at these sites for signs of butchery inflicted by human tools. They also examined speleothems, spiky mineral deposits created by water dripping from cave ceilings. Chemical signals preserved in these formations record changes in rainfall patterns and even vegetation. The scientists also relied on human genetic data for clues about the arrival of humans and also population sizes. Together, the evidence suggests that the human population boom was made possible by a shift in the mode of subsistence from hunting and gathering to herding and farming. An influx of migrants from Indonesia around this time also fueled the population rise. However, these new agriculturalists did not limit themselves to growing their food and domesticating animals. They continued to hunt to supplement their food supply. The growing population meant their hunting became extensive enough to drive the giant animals to extinction, the new paper concludes. 
The surprising implication is that raising domesticated animals may have led to greater, not lesser, hunting pressure on wild animals. However, while the researchers believe that hunting may have triggered the mass extinction, they do not believe it was the sole contributor. Habitat destruction by the new way of life intensified the decline in wild animal populations. Yeah, and that's a pattern we've definitely seen before. So, as for these giant lemurs, there were once a couple of different species, but the largest of them was Archaeoindris fontoinanti. Archaeoindris fontoinanti. The term Archaeoindris, the genus, refers to the relationship between these big guys and their much smaller extant relatives, the Indri, which is a specific subgroup of lemur. Archaeoindris was the largest primate known to have evolved on Madagascar, comparable in size to a male gorilla, which it's not. I mean, gorillas are primates, too, and there are gorilla sized gorillas. So like it shouldn't surprise me that much. But since the the largest existing lemurs are like small toddler size, that's it's quite a difference. Uh, just, we have no living giant ones and it's weird to me. Shouldn't be. Uh, but Archaeoindris belong to a family Normalize of extinct giant Normalize lemurs. There's <laughs> <laughs> a t-shirt. It belonged to a family of extinct lemurs known as sloth lemurs or paleoprophysidae. So many syllables. And because of its extremely large size, it's been compared to the ground sloths that once roamed North and South America. Just in its body shape. They're not necessarily closely related. Along with the other sloth lemurs, Archaeoindris was related to the living Indri, Shifakas, and woolly lemurs, as well as the recently extinct monkey lemurs, Archaeolemuridae. How uh, the gen- Do we just do it? No. No, no. Okay. Yeah. The genus Archaeoindris translates to ancient Indri-like lemur, even though it probably became extinct recently, around 350 BCE. Okay. There you go. I wasn't there. No. Not your fault. It's not my fault. You're off planet. Archaeoindris was first described by Quaker paleontologist and missionary Herbert F. Standing in 1909, based on subfossil fragmentary jaws. And only six bones from the lower skeleton have been found, and excavations in the 1980s offered no leads for new finds. Its remains have been found at only one location, Ampasambazimba, which feels great to say. Recommended. Ampasambazimba. A subfossil site in central Madagascar. So we know very little about these, except they big. And we're confident that they're big? We're quite confident that they're big. And a lot has been extrapolated from what we do have on, and, and their relationship with other extinct giant lemurs that do have more remains present. Um, it's just that it's, you know, it's one of those cases like, like Gigantopithecus, where it's... It's possible to infer some things, but it would be super great if more remains were found. Yeah. It'd be nice to have more information. Yeah. Well, and now, courtesy of the Lemur Conservation Network, which we are now bearing on, we bring you (laughs) lemur facts. There are more than 100 distinct species of lemur on Madagascar. There's an estimated 112, but ongoing collection of genetic data means that this number is subject to change. All these lemurs come in all shapes and sizes. All lemurs are valid. The smallest, <laughs> Madame Berthes, Berthes, mouse lemur, has an average body weight of 30 grams. 
It's only slightly heavier than a standard AA battery. And it's so, it's so small. It's so, so small. small. Oh, it's not even a nugget. It's just a nibble. Mm-hmm. And the largest, the Indri, weighs about 6 to 9.5 kilograms, which is about the size of a human baby. Like a large-ish, maybe, maybe a one-year-old, I think, if I'm Chunky. estimating my children. Chunky baby. Chunky baby. Lemurs play a significant role in culture to Malagasy people and are subject to many fadi, or cultural taboos and traditions that originate from ancient folktales. Fadi, or taboos, are passed on from generation to generation through stories that provide guidance on the do's and don'ts for local people. Many fadis involve lemurs. For example, the entry are fadi for many Malagasy people. Old legends speak of the spirits of ancestors living within these lemurs. Thus, people should not hunt, kill, or eat Indri. Another lemur species at the center of many fadi is the Ai. But unlike the Indri, the Ai is thought to be associated with evil. It is believed that ill fortune comes to any person who sees one. This has led to large-scale persecution of the Ai across its range in Madagascar. So I, I meant I meant to give myself this section, this sidebar. Okay. Okay. I Yes. Okay. This no, is what my this is what my story is about. So I maybe. Oh, okay. No, no. You take the sidebar. You take the side sidebar, and then I'll okay give you my okay. story. Okay. So brief sidebar. Let's talk about the II and mythology. And I pulled from a um, an article in psmag.com, but the article's title and overall tone is very judgy, just on the overall appearance of the II, which yeah, just like the Pacific Standard. Yes, thank you. And this is an animal that is super well adapted for its environment, um, it just because it doesn't look cute from hu- you know by human standards. Just no need to dunk on its appearance. I'm very, I'm very defensive of the II because they are ridiculous looking, but in terms of evolution, very cool. So here's from the, the Pacific Standard. Some drama. Get out your drama, mean. At night, in the forests of Madagascar, a dark specter drifts through the canopy. The creature has... Hmm? Softly, softly. No, that's a pato. The creature has black, wiry fur, radar dishes for ears, a witch's broom for a tail, and enormous haunting eyeballs that shine blood red in the beam of a flashlight. Oh my god, it's my parents' dog. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Local legend, though, says it's the I.I.'s fingers you need to worry about. On each hand, the I.I., which is actually a species of lemur, boasts one extra long digit that looks like the crooked finger of death itself. Come on. Come on, Pacific Standard. Some believe that the I.I. can curse a person simply by pointing at them. I, I hope to grow, grow old and have that believed of me. Others believe, don't curse me. Put the finger down. <laughs> Others believe that the creatures sneak into human homes at night and use their skeletal finger to pick at the hearts of their victims. The precise threat posed by an eye varies from village to village, but the antidote is usually the same. Sadly, it's killing the animal. And for for the record, eyes are insectivores. They do not actively harm humans. But again, this is a culturally held belief. 
In the wild, the eye eye prowls along branches and rotting logs, tapping its digit along the bark and listening with its outsized ears to the sounds that bounce back. This is what scientists call percussive foraging, and it's similar to how some bats and whales hunt. So they go tap, 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 and they can tell from the sounds of the tap if there's a a squishy little critter for them to eat. Not going to lie. The phrase tapping its digit along the bark is haunting to me. Huh. Okay. Noted. Once the eye zeroes in on a potential snack, it excavates a hole in the bark using its long chisel-like teeth. And those, they're like beaver's teeth because they're the teeth that you have to keep chewing because they never stop growing. The eye's teeth are so strong that captive animals have been known to chew through concrete walls when they're bored. So, you know, entertain your eye-eye. After, or, you know, don't keep them in captivity. After the teeth have done their work, it's time for the eye to unfurl its primary weapon, the finger. Equal parts pipe cleaner and fishing pole, the eye's middle finger is an adaptation without parallel in the animal kingdom. The middle finger, this is just really cool, like evolutionarily, but the, you're right, the description is spooky. The middle finger of an eye eye sits on a ball and socket joint, just like the human shoulder. This allows it to swivel in any direction, a full 360 de- degrees. We don't have that. We have a hinge we, joint yeah, we of do. our yeah, yeah. fingers. The finger slips into the tree trunk and snakes around looking for grubs. If it finds one, a specialized claw on the end of the finger hooks the larva and whisks it away to the eye eye's mouth. Chomp, 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 chomp. So... Eye eyes are really cool and endangered, and who cares if they look like gremlins? I, I, I stand in defense of eye eyes. So, my you 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 know, and I'm sure many of our listeners now know that I'm scared of lots of things, and I have been scared of lots of things throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting over my phobia of thylacines. I've been I'm able That's to good. look That's at them great. now without having a panic attack. That's great. Um, I'm glad didn't you didn't take that. the news well that there's. They're possibly still around. I didn't take that well. But then I saw the image that didn't really look like one. But this is, okay, this is, I think we've maybe found like the rhizome of a lot of my like animal-based peers. Kratz creatures. um, And just like the Krat brothers. Um, So it, when I was younger, I may have been like, I was definitely too old to be watching their programs. (laughs) But if it still but, interests you, no, 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 I wasn't watching it. No, I was, I was older than the age at which I watched their programs. Okay. Um, but I was still young. I may have been in like high school or something. I had a dream <laughs> in which the Krat brothers were in oh, my no. house. Oh no. And um, I don't remember much about what happened, except I went down to the basement to the, uh, coat closet like in our mm-hmm. very basement which you've mm-hmm. seen since it was, I was working in the basement um, yep, and the basement. my dad has always had maybe he doesn't know but always had this um, quite nice microscope like a tabletop microscope mm-hmm. in a wooden case and um, so it lived down in that coat closet but in the dream I opened it for some reason and there was an eye eye in it. Oh no. It up at me and then it ripped my arm off. Ah! <laughs> took a and turn. like for it couldn't do that in real I life. remember this dream like to this day and it was probably like easily 20 It years. does sound really scary. Like I get and, uh, that is a nightmare. Is just, 
And I had no issue with them before. And so if it makes you feel better, eye eyes are very small and I don't think they could rip your arm off. They're like softball size. They're kind of like squirrel. I'm also not planning to let either Martin nor Chris crack into my house at any point. Probably. They seem probably wise. They seem nice enough. Yeah, they seem nice. Anyway. (laughs) Well, that's my eye eye story. Back to lemur facts. <laughs> Lemurs are the only other primates besides humans to have blue eyes. Wow. Which which is not to say that all lemurs have blue eyes, just that the genetic variant for blue eyes exists in the population of a species called the blue-eyed black lemur. Not all of them are black, which is confusing. The blue-eyed black lemur is do, one of the most... But do all the blue-eyed black lemurs have blue eyes? No, just like all humans don't have blue eyes. It's just... But they're called blue-eyed black lemurs. I know. And they're also not all black? Yeah, well, you know, that that one spider that's like the bird-eating spider doesn't actually eat a lot of birds. It's just like one time it was seen eating a bird. Did you know that the German word for tarantula is like bird spider? Interesting. So Vogelspinne? I learned this the other night from Duolingo, and I was just like, well... (laughs) (laughs) The blue-eyed black lemur, which might be neither blue-eyed nor black, (laughs) is one of the most threatened lemur species, listed as critically endangered on the IUCN red list of threatened species. Probably no small part due to their existential crises. What am I even? (laughs) Am I even a lemur? Turns out they're actually foxes. That's not true. (laughs) Lemurs communicate in several ways, notably singing and stinking. In the rainforests of East Madagascar, you will often hear the songs of the Indri. Indri are talented a cappella with both the males and females singing and often in sync with each other. Uh, they're not like a doo-wop group. They just happen to vocalize it's in sync like a, with each other. It's like a musical out there. Ooh. Yeah. The function behind this singing is complex and can vary depending on location and the animal hearing it. And one reason behind the Indri song is to mark its territory. So basically saying, stay out of my tree in beautiful harmony. Ring-tailed lemurs also communicate and mark their territory in a unique way. They have scent glands on their wrist and chest, which become particularly useful during the breeding season. A male will mix secretions from his wrist and chest. He does a does a, a scent blend <laughs> to mark his territory and even lifts his tail to be ready for a stink fight against a rival which I really enjoy. The dispute ends only when one gives up and is outstunk by the other. It's like, oh, like, is, it a, is it a bad smell? It's a musky. It- it's a very powerfully musky smell from what I've read. Moving on from lemur facts, it turns out that whatever else it was, 2020 was a banner year for lemur news. And so we bring you lemur news. Oh, are we going to come up with like lemur opinions at the end? Um, if you so want lemur to. facts, lemur news, lemur conjecture. Uh, well, we have we have one more lemur category at the end here for you. Um, yes. but it's lemur not. conjecture. Okay. Okay. Great. Among the most widespread, abundant, and adaptable lemurs of Madagascar are the mouse lemurs, small-bodied, omnivorous, nocturnal primates of the genus Microcebus, or Microcebus, as I'm sure you'd prefer. I say. 
These creatures can be found in all regions of Madagascar that offer forested habitats. They have a combined head, body, and tail length of less than 27 centimeters, 11 inches. So all of them, including the tail, is less than 11 inches, making them the most diminutive of the primates. Recognized as two species almost three decades ago, the mouse lemurs now comprise 25 species, largely diagnosed from mitochondrial DNA data. In a recent study, researchers surveyed communities of mouse lemurs at five different sites in northeastern Madagascar, measuring a variety of morphological parameters, body shape measurements, and assessing reproductive states for 123 individuals belonging to five different lineages. The newfound species is one of the tiniest primates in the world. It measures about 26 centimeters or 10.2 inches from nose to tail and has a mass of only 60 grams. So that's two double A batteries. <laughs> Named the Jonah's mouse lemur, Microcebus jonahi. It has short and My. dense reddish brown fur. What? It's just like the, the Weezer song. My name is Jonah's mouse lemur. My name is lemur. I'm tiny as a squirrel. Tiny like a right mouse. There, mouse. It's right there. So my name is Jonas. I was under a lot of pressure to come up with something off the top, off the dome. I'm so tired today. You could have let it, let it ride. My name is Jonas. If you want to destroy my lemur. Oh no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't do it. Anyway, this little duder has short and dense reddish brown fur. The ears are small and are of the same rufous color as the head. I love Rufus as a as a word for color. I'm gonna I'm gonna describe my hair that way from now on. You are a Rufus Sambelli. The tail is densely furred and of the same coloration as the back. Males and females do not show any sexual dimorphism. The researcher said, quote, the Jonah's mouse lemur can be distinguished from other species in northeastern Madagascar by morphometric features, different body shapes, and genomic distinctiveness. End quote. And then another quote. Compared with its closest Again, relative. Quote. I know. <laughs> <sighs> setting myself up for failure today. Compared with its closest relative, the MacArthur's mouse lemur, Microcebus macartheri, the new species is longer, has a shorter tail, wider ears, a larger head width, and a shorter head length. So, oh. Great. Yeah, That's so cute. it's very small. This is Chris Webster with the APN. I'm also a project manager for several industries. I wouldn't be able to keep on track with really anything if it wasn't for motion. With motion, I just say what I need to do, how long I think it will take, what sort of priority I think it has, and motion builds my day for me. It'll even build in breaks because, let's be honest, it's hard to remember to stop to eat lunch sometimes. So head over to arcpodnet.com motion for a free trial and a discount if you sign up. You'll kick back a small amount to the APN if you do. That's arcpodnet.com motion. Hey, fans of APN Podcasts, we've got lots of designs over at our Tee Public store. Every purchase helps out the APN with a few cents back to us. Check out the high-quality t-shirts, stickers, phone cases, coffee mugs, and a lot more. There are lots of colors to choose from in most of those items, and Tee Public often runs 30% discounts. So check out the store at arcpodnet.com shop. That's arcpodnet.com shop, and click on the link. Also in 2020, something that very much stressed me out and I had to read ahead to make sure that it was okay. Uh, we have a different type of lemur news. Lemur crime. Crimes against lemurs. Yeah. But as Amber said, 
It's a happy ending. Don't worry. From October 2020, courtesy of NPR. Oh, no. What do they have to say? No, it's not. An endangered 21-year-old lemur is missing and may have been stolen from the San Francisco Zoo on Tuesday night, according to officials. The ring-tailed lemur named Maki is among the oldest of the primates housed in the zoo's Lipman family lemur forest, which is home to seven different species of lemurs. San Francisco Police Department officers who responded to a report of burglary say Maki was last seen in his enclosure on Tuesday. They are investigating a possible break-in at the habitat and are calling on the public to help with any information leading to the animal's whereabouts. Um, Dr. Jason Waters, Executive Vice President of Animal Behavior and Wellness at the Zoo, told ABC7, quote, <laughs> we understand that lemurs are adorable animals, but Maki is a highly endangered animal that requires special care. We are asking the public for help in his return. He needs as, his medicines. Yeah. As one of our oldest lemurs, Maki requires a specialized diet. Of the 19 lemurs here, at 21 and a half years, he has exceeded the median life expectancy of 16.7 years, but is also one of the slowest and we believe likely the easiest to catch. Poor buddy. Which, like, I hate this. It's okay. It's but okay, bud. Never fear. Never fear. Maki is safe, albeit in a zoo. But here's well, more from the Associated Press, published probably two days wouldn't after the be first story. 21 and a half years old if he were not I, in a zoo. I hope he has a good quality of life. I think police, he does. Said, police said Friday they arrested a man suspecting of stealing a ring-tailed lemur from the San Francisco Zoo, where officials rewarded a five-year-old boy who helped recapture the endangered primate with a lifetime membership. <laughs> the theft of Maki, an arthritic 21-year-old lemur, <laughs> made the oh god, this is awful. Made Sorry. the news. When, I'm like sick to my stomach. Made the oh. news Wednesday in San Francisco and beyond when zoo officials reported the animal missing and found evidence of forced entry at his enclosure. Five-year-old Steals James, five-year-old James Trent, who we're just doxing in this story. <laughs> just he's five. Five-year-old James was unaware of the headlines when leaving his preschool Thursday in Daly City, about five miles from the zoo, and exclaimed, there's a lemur! There's a lemur! <laughs> um, and this is according to Cynthia Huang, the director of the Hope Lutheran Day School, um, and who she was skeptical at first. I thought, are you sure that's not a raccoon? <laughs> I mean, my- to be fair, I, like I would s- suspect a raccoon more than a lemur in my San Francisco neighborhood, but turns out... Maki scurried from the parking lot into the school's playground and took refuge in a miniature playhouse. Oh, my God. Because it's probably like his enclosure. As the school called police who quickly alerted animal control and zoo officials, the children, parents, and teachers watched as caretakers arrived and coaxed the lemur into a transport cage. Um, So also Thursday, police took 30-year-old Corey McGilloway into custody. Yeah, so grand grand theft of an animal. So yep. um Grand Theft Lemur. <laughs> Sorry, oh. it's not funny. I'm just imagining the video game. <laughs> oh no, that's even worse. I know. What a terrible game. San Francisco I, I don't San Francisco Zoo director Tanya Peterson said Maki was, quote, an aging wild animal who needed special care, end quote, for aid for ailments including arthritis. Um, and she said, quote, he's still agitated, dehydrated, and hungry. 
um, adding that veterinarian teams were working to get him back to health. Due to his travel, she added, he's socially distancing from his private family, but would hopefully no, enjoy- Primate, not private. <laughs> private family. I was thinking about like his, his, his like his wife and children. Life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's socially distancing from his primate family. Um, but would hopefully join the other lemurs soon. And so authorities had offered a $2,100 reward for locating Maki, which the zoo will be giving to the church. Peterson, the director, said, quote, I understand there is a young boy there who witnessed this and also called in the tip, and we are giving his family a free membership to the zoo. Um, Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) Peterson, who thanked the boy and everyone who helped, saying, quote, they literally saved a life. Oh, Maki. And so on that heartwarming note, while Amber recovers, listener, we will wrap up this episode of Deep Cuts. And we hope you enjoyed learning a bit about lemurs along with us. Don't steal them. We're not primatologists. It is. 2020 sucked. Um, But Maki is fine. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, it's been a stressful week. And it's only Tuesday. We're not primatologists, but we hope you all had fun. I couldn't fun. handle it. Oh, man. If you're listening, you can't hear right now, but I'm like actively crying about these lemurs. Well, we hope this was fun for you. Uh, thank you, as always, for supporting the show. And uh, hey, you know, in the, in the spirit Maki's of okay. in the spirit of mutual lemur primate aid, if you want to donate to a to the lemur conservation network, uh, you can do that. Help out critters like Maki. <laughs> well, goodbye, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs> This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at arcpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.